everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. This is Gary Parker, your host as always. And uh, we've got a great interview show for you today. We're going to be talking with Ruth Carter. She is a lawyer and an expert on the GDPR, or the General Data Protection Regulation. This is a new set of sweeping privacy regulations that are going to be going into effect in the European Union on May 25th. We've talked about it on the show a few times already. Uh, and it's right around the corner. And it's a really, really big deal. Uh, if you've noticed that you've been getting a ton of emails lately about updates to privacy policies and such, it's because of GDPR. All these global companies out there need to get themselves right with a new law. Um, and because they're, they don't always know who all their people are, in some cases they're just going to say, well, we're just going to treat everybody the same, which is good for the rest of us because these laws are really great for privacy. Um, so uh, a lot of us, even though we don't live in the EU, are going to benefit from this. Uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, and we're going to discuss that and many other things. And, and the, the key that I want you guys to know is that even though we don't live in the EU, uh, we will get some of the benefits. But also, if you happen to even just so much as have a newsletter uh, that you like to send out and you don't necessarily know where all the people in your newsletter come from, if any of them come from the EU, you are also subject to these laws to some degree. So uh, we're going to get into all those details, but you need to pay attention even if you don't live in the EU because they may affect you as well. Uh, we are a global society. The internet spans everywhere and really knows no boundaries. Uh, so we need to pay attention. So without any further ado, let's listen to the wisdom of Ruth Carter. Okay, Ruth Carter is an Arizona attorney specializing in intellectual property, business startups, contracts, and internet law. Uh, she's an American Bar Association legal rebel, uh, Phoenix Business Journal 40 Under 40, and a super lawyer's Southwest Rising star. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so we're going to talk today about the GDPR, the uh, the General Data Protection Regulation, uh, which is a sweeping set of privacy regulations adopted by the EU uh, that are set to take effect on May 25th, very soon now. Um, uh, Ruth is an expert on these regulations, and I brought her to the show because I want us to understand you know, why they're so groundbreaking and how they will even affect us for those of us who are not in the EU. So uh, let's start with the basics. Uh, what, are the, what are the main elements of GDPR, uh, and how did this kind of come to be? So... GDPR is all about respecting people's personal information uh, over in the EU. They consider it a fundamental right to be able to protect your privacy. And I suspect the way it came about is that they were looking at the problems that were happening with um, people's data um, mm. being used without consent hmm. uh, and data breaches occurring without, and companies not disclosing it for weeks, months, even years. And so they decided to create this law to counteract some of these issues. And so this is one of the most strict privacy laws that I've ever seen go into hmm. place, goes into effect May 25th, the Friday before Memorial Day <laughs> in the U.S. Great time to start a new law. Um, and it's all about um, protecting people's privacy and getting consent before mm. collecting or processing a person's data, which includes adding them to your email list. What a concept, consent. Uh, is there? So it sounds like there isn't any, but do you, is there any precedent for these sorts of things in, in other countries? Or have we tried this before anywhere else? And uh, Or is this really just kind of the first of its kind? It's not the first of its kind. There are other laws that are more strict than what's required in the U.S., but 
this is the strictest variation of this law that I've seen. Okay. So what is what is your assessment of these regulations personally? Like, first of all, is this, is this worthwhile? I mean, you know, a lot of people ask these questions, certainly in the U.S. Where, where a good portion of the population is very regulation averse. Um, you know, do we do we need regulations to protect consumers or, you know, is there some way for the quote unquote invisible hand of the market to figure this out um, so the consumers can get what they want? I, I think this law is pretty fantastic, actually, because it puts the requirement um, and the burden on companies to be respectful of people's data and transparent about what they're doing. So from that perspective, I love it. Do you believe that it's that it can actually be effective for they've gone too far? I know a lot of people, a lot of companies are kind of cringing at some of the things they're being required to do and complaining that some of these things are not technically feasible and yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know, and many times, you know, regulations and technical solutions are either they're either too narrow, like you know, they, as they as they crafted them, they were they only had the current kind of thing in mind, and therefore, you know, they can kind of be skirted if you just kind of change your tech a little bit, or sometimes they just kind of miss the mark, you know, and they do more harm than good because they don't. The people writing the regulations weren't really tech savvy, uh, and they end up having you know they they word them too broadly, and they have a lot of unintended consequences. Do you, you know, we obviously haven't seen it implemented yet. Um, what is your take on how effective these are likely to be and you know do they need to be tweaked well i think anytime a new law is passed and people are asked to accept change um they're going to cringe and especially in this type of situation where there may not be a quick easy fix it's not a situation where you just add a couple of lines of text to your privacy policy and you're good to go <laughs> where we are being told that we have to change the way we do business. And um, at least for some companies that aren't already acting in compliance with the law. So it is a big shift for a lot of companies. And it's it's a new idea. Uh, and I think it's a sign that the show that we are really becoming a more and more of a global community versus mm -hmm. regional or national, where this is a EU law, this is a European law, and yet, a substantial amount of American companies are going to have right. to comply with it or assume they have to comply with it because like, in regards to email lists, it only takes one person on your list who lives in the EU to require that your company complies with it. And so if you don't know who's on your list because mm -hmm. people added themselves or you don't, you have no idea where your list came from because um, you just, you've forgotten over right. time you have to assume that you have what at least one and therefore you must comply so what are the what are the risks the real risks for not complying there's been a lot of sensationalistic news stories about you know oh it could cost facebook you know multiple billions cuz it's it's the penalties as i understand it are based on i think the maximum penalty and it's it's key to note that that's a maximum is 4% of global revenue which for a company like facebook or google or something is obviously a massive amount of information but you know i, I right. assume that there's got to be some sort of you know do you get a do you get a mulligan of it how do they how do they are you notified for non-compliance are you given some opportunity to come into compliance how do from a real standpoint how what are the real risks and how does it play out that is a that is a good question and because this is a brand new law we don't actually know what compliance is going to look like and what the first cases are going to be coming down and will they will people be going after the big dogs like Facebook or Google or will they be looking to go after mom and pop yeah. uh, type businesses uh, and it's it's a little complicated because 
each country within the European Union has their own agency designated to deal with GDPR. So a, an EU resident can make a complaint to their designated agency, which could trigger an investigation uh, into an American company if they're the ones who are being accused of wrongdoing. And the worst case scenario, again, worst case scenario um, is 4% or up to um, 20 million euros. Um, but along with that, each EU country also has the ability to create additional uh, administrative and criminal laws um, under the umbrella of GDPR. So it may even depend a little bit on which country within the EU mm. is coming after you. Interesting. So you've already kind of alluded to this, but you know, how might you know, because I'm guessing the bulk of the people on this sh listening to the show are not in the EU. Um, but you know, so how might this affect businesses in the U.S. and other countries that don't necessarily have a legal or a corporate presence in the EU? You talked about you mentioned mom and pop organizations, for example. You know, maybe someone just who's running a blog with a newsletter. Um, but then also things like how does this apply to things like nonprofits? Is there, are there cutouts for things like nonprofits or websites that? You know, are not trying to make money off the data. They just kind of an incidental, like I have a mailing list. You know, are there right. are there are there cutouts for things like that or not? I haven't seen a specific cutout for nonprofits. I read the um, the GDPR cover to cover back in uh, early December when my friend was in labor and I was waiting <laughs> for the baby to be born. Things you do to pass the time. Read the GDPR. Two hundred and sixty pages later, the kid uh. was born. Um, <laughs> Um, and so I didn't see any carve outs for nonprofit. Um, it does, it did say that it only applies to commercial activities involving, um, what they call natural persons. So not a legal person is a company, a natural person is a human being. Hmm. So if you happen to have your own database for just managing your own contacts and it has nothing to do with business. Um, you don't have to worry about GDPR, but if you are sending any type of commercial email, even if the goal isn't to make money, but mm. there is a commercial aspect to it, GDPR applies. So let's, I'm sure now there's some listeners going, oh my God, I've got an email list. What do I do? I, I didn't realize <laughs> I was on the hook for this. So let's, let's briefly talk about that for a second. Do you have any immediate advice for someone who's got a mailing list who has no idea necessarily who these people are, or where they live? What, sure. what do they need to do to make sure that they're not going to run afoul of this law? Right. So let me preface this by saying I, I, I am a lawyer. I, I can say, give you can't legal say you're not information. A <laughs> I can't give legal advice over a podcast. Well, okay, but sure. Um, I did create a, um, a blog series about GDPR basics, if you want to share that with your audience. Okay. Um, and the big thing is uh, consent. So um, if you didn't have double opt-in for your email list. I'll explain um, that real quick. What's double opt-in? A double opt-in is when somebody inputs their email of a yes, I want to subscribe to their new to your newsletter, and then they automatically get an email that says please confirm that you really want to be okay. on this list, and you hit I you know yes confirm. Okay. Um, that's double opt-in where you basically have to communicate twice that okay. you want to be on this particular list, uh, versus single opt-in, whereas you only put your email address in once and you're on the list. So um, having double opt-in is a great way to be in compliance because it's not enough to um, to obtain consent. You have to be able to prove that you got consent. Um, and then if you are somebody who, like me, I was using single um, 
single opt-in. And so I did add double opt-in, but I'm actually going back through my email list and in my newsletter since the beginning of the year, I said, okay, like GDPR is coming. I have to, you know, you have to reconsent that you want to be on the mm. list. And I created a simple um, survey monkey two question survey. Um, question one is, yes, I want to stay on your list. Here's my email address. The second question is optional and it's, hey, what what else can I give you on this, you know, via this email list to provide value? Um, so anybody who has not confirmed their email um, address through my, uh, through that little survey by the effective date, unless I know them personally and I know they don't live right. in the EU, um, they're getting dropped off my list. Interesting. Uh, now, is, are you doing this out of a paranoid lawyer's abundance of caution, or is, is this actually something? Is there like, is this is there no grandfathering? I mean, so this, if I've got an existing email list, do I need to go back and reconfirm, or is this just kind of something you're doing to be careful? So the GDPR says um, if your practices to date complies with the EU law that covered data privacy prior to GDPR, then you don't have to get consent again. Um, but if you weren't, if your practices weren't in compliance with the old law, then you do have to get consent again. Mm. And I'm going to be honest, I have not read the old law. I didn't really want to. Um, sorry, I've, you know, time now is being effective about time. You only have so many uh, pregnant friends waiting to give birth. Exactly. Uh, so, um, and I just looked at this as an opportunity to scrub my list. It's like, hey, you know what? If you're not opening my email anyway, I'm not providing you value. So I, I might as well drop you. And if they want to resubscribe later and go through that double opt in process, fine. Happy to have them back. So that's what I'm doing with my list. Um, and then uh, the GDPR also requires you to provide 10 different pieces of information when you are collecting people's data. Um, and so I used my confirmatory email as the place to provide that list of data that's provided. And a lot of it's simple things like um, information about who, my, you know, who I am, who my company is, how to contact us, what data we uh, collect, how long we collect it, you know, how long we're going to, how long we're going to store it, which is I keep you on the list until you drop yourself. Um, or I use MailChimp until MailChimp says, hey, we got a hard bounce. This email is no good. Um, and there's a, a handful of other pieces of information. One of them I know is that the person can always ask to um, be removed from the list, to uh, correct their information, to ask uh, information about what data I collected, who I give it to, which is I give it to nobody. Um, MailChimp has it, but no one else right. does. And that they always have the right to complain to the appropriate supervisory authority in their country. Wow. Yeah. And it, the whole double opt-in thing is actually really important because, I, I mean, how many of us have, you know, you go to some website and you, let's say you're buying something, but somewhere on that form page is a checkbox that says, oh, and send me, you know, subscribe me to your email. A lot of people don't even see it, which I'm sure is not an accident that it's kind of placed off to the side. And that, that would be a single opt-in and that wouldn't count. Right. Well, and now the rules under GDPR says you can use that, those checkboxes still as a way to get people to to consent to subscribing, but if that box cannot be pre-checked, it has to be oh. uh, up to the person who's being added to the list to say, yes, add me. Wow. All these things we just take for granted because we've been so uh, abused <laughs> that we're just, we're like battered 
<laughs> battered consumers. Battered. <laughs> right. And you, and you asked, am I being like excessively risk adverse? Um, and maybe I am, but I will also say it looks really bad when the internet attorney gets in trouble for breaking the laws <laughs> of the internet. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, so back to a little bit of a, a, a legal area. So does, does the U.S. have any uh, – obviously this applies to the, the folks in the EU – and the weirdness there is a lot of our companies that a lot of we in the U.S. think of as U.S. companies really aren't legally or financially U.S. companies. A lot of them have moved to Ireland or the Cayman Islands or something weird. And obviously Ireland being in the uh, would make them subject to the EU. They're global companies. They're not U.S. companies. They just have, a you know. Uh, so anyway, um, but are there any U.S. treaties that are like um, or any other legally binding agreements that make these laws enforceable outside the EU? Like I'm thinking of the Cloud Act where... You know, we recently passed the, these laws that, are, that enabled foreign governments to come to the U.S. to get uh, uh, to request data without a warrant. Uh, so that these kind of these, these cross nation nation treaties that even though it was a local law, it actually has effect outside the U.S. So are there any do we have any anything else that might encumber or and bring non EU companies into the whole web of GDPR? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, they, the, the one thing we're going to see with GDPR is if they are doing an investigation outside the, the, the geographic boundaries of the EU, is they're probably going to have to enlist help from whatever country the company's in that they are investigating for support. So they would be contacting the U.S. government if they are investigating a U.S. company. Okay. Um, well, non-E, you know, like us, like, non-EU consumers, are, there, are we going to reap any direct or indirect, indirect benefits from the implementation of GDPR? Or, you know, maybe conversely, will these global companies try to move their assets around other companies outside the EU to avoid having to comply? Like, I know Facebook has been recently caught trying to do that. I I don't see it happening. I, if anything, it's a way for for all companies to examine what their practices and policies are and asking themselves, are they being transparent? Are they being respectful about privacy? Um, and are they doing anything that would look questionable if someone took a closer look at how they operated their business? Yeah. You know, you'd think that it would just be simpler for these global companies to you know, kind of come into compliance. If they have to do the EU thing anyway, why not just pass that benefit on to the rest of the customers? Of course, you know, they don't look at it that way in a lot of cases. I'm sure Facebook, these guys make the money off that data. And so that's, this is taking away revenue for them, right? Perhaps. But if Facebook is transparent about what they're doing um, that and including information like being anybody being able to ask, hey, tell me, um, what, what data about me do you have and who are you giving it to? Um, if they have any reason to balk at that, I would look deeper at that to go, why is that a threat? Why is that, you know, why is that threatening to you? Why are you apprehensive to release that information? What's going on behind the curtain that maybe you don't <laughs> want us to know about? Well, yeah, I'm sure that's part of it is that they've kind of skated through on a lot of these things because most people have some vague notion that, yeah, okay, they probably know a lot about me, but they don't really realize that that information is being transacted behind the scenes. It was actually, it, it's a commodity. That, that information is mm -hmm. being used to make money. And I think right. that I'm sure a lot of these guys feel that if, 
and, you know, it's like a, just like politicians with transparency. They don't they don't like transparency because because that sunlight's the best dis- disinfectant. So they don't <laughs> they they can keep doing all these things that are kind of shady behind the scenes unless people know about them. So that's I'm sure well, that's why they resist. Perhaps, but also looking at like why you know what are they doing and it, is it really shady or is it a situation where people are actually okay with certain types of data about them being out there and what's why the secrecy i guess is what i would ask yeah well unfortunately i think it, 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 again it comes down to money and also a lot even facebook and their in, in uh, zuckerberg's testimony to congress hinted at you know maybe they might have a for pay version of facebook down the line that would ratchet back you know the the money they're making off your data in return for you paying them some sort of a subscription fee um you know, we may be heading that way, and and I personally would be fine with that. But I, the the only downside of that is they keep offering these kind of two tier systems. It's almost like net, net neutrality, where you're offering, you know, some some people the ability to pay to get better service. Then privacy to me becomes a luxury, it becomes something that the people with money can can have, and the people with money without money can't because they'll take the free version because they can't afford ten bucks for Facebook, three bucks for Google, you know, uh, you know, paying all the different services a monthly fee to to, to to be private. They'll just say, ah, screw it, I'll go for the free version. Perhaps, but then also it's a, it's an opportunity for people to look at what information am I giving away, and does that fit with my own personal values? No, for sure. And I've when the whole Facebook thing, the Cambridge Analytica scandal hit, and I was I deleted my Facebook account. I didn't I, honestly; it was easy for me to do because I didn't use it that much. I know a lot of people are way more invested in Facebook than I was, so it was easy for me. Um, but I did at least, you know, encourage people because Facebook does have these tools where you can go and ask to download supposedly all the information they have in you. I'm sure it's just the raw info and none of the mm-hmm. inferred info that they, you know, that they correlate with other data and whatever. But I've certainly encouraged people just to to do that so that they are aware of what they're giving away. Right. Uh, let's see. Um so there are have been attempts in the U.S. Uh, to pass some digital privacy legislation in the fa- in the past. Um, I've often seen it referred to as the Internet Bill of Rights, uh, or something along those lines. AT and T at one point even claimed to support this bill, which I don't really get because the internet service providers, of which AT and T is one, Verizon are others. We don't often think of them as ISPs because they're cell phone companies, but when you have data plans, they are your ISP on your phone or your or whatever. Um, you know, and of course Comcast and Spectrum and and uh, the other traditional broadband ISPs have fought these things tooth and nail um, for for many many years. And every once in a while, they come out with a press release saying, "Oh yes, we support these principles," but you know, which I don't understand how they could do that. But they, you know, the fact of the matter is, they have successfully lobbied this administration to to roll back a lot of privacy protections uh, that we have. Now there's um, there is another bill that's coming up um, called the let's see who um, Social Media Privacy Protection and Consumer Rights Act. Uh, Amy Klobuchar and uh, John Kennedy, I think, are the sponsors. Talk to us a little bit about maybe how th- how this how things have progressed in the U.S. along these lines, and do we have any prayer uh, uh, of implementing similar things here? What, what, what's the status there? I, yeah, and does this does this law have a prayer? I don't know. Um, that comes down to who's in office and how are they being lobbied and blah blah blah. Because mm. sometimes there are laws pass that I just find amazing, mm-hmm. um, but. It's, it's a law that's been proposed. So uh, laws oftentimes, you know, many times change a bit between the first time they are um, 
brought up until the until the day it's passed. So go through committee and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes it's written so that both sides can claim victory, (laughs) um, which is what makes laws really complicated. And that's also when I can see situations where a person or entity could could support the idea behind the law, but not how they're proposing to enact it. So um, this one um, has some of the similar ideas that are in GDPR, um, like requiring websites to provide users a copy of the data that's being collected about them free of charge and a list of who has access to their data, either just giving it away or selling it. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I saw in it is a requirement to disclose uh, a data breach within 72 hours yes. of learning that the breach has occurred, which I support that wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah. Well, we've had so just recently in last year. I mean, there's been the the Facebook thing with Cambridge Analytica where they they were aware of this in 2015, as my understanding, and didn't say anything. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the Equifax breach last year; uh, those guys sat on that for at least six weeks before they told anybody about it. Exactly. Uh, which is, <laughs> I don't know how you can justify that. So yes, that that would be welcome. Um, well, it's. I think the justification is it would be bad for business if we disclosed <laughs> it. So we're right. just not going to say anything. Right. Well, and then, you know, and then you have executives selling stock before the announcement. And luckily, those guys at least got some uh, – I think those guys got busted for that. So a little bit of, little bit of justice there. Um, so, well, how much – I'm curious. And what did you think about the whole Cambridge Analytica story? Because there's so many different angles to that about how that, how that played out where – and, and my recollection was that there was a there was an I think it was an Oxford professor who put together an app, you know, one of those fun little what kind of Harry Potter character, you know, am I <laughs> questions that, you know, the surveys that everybody loves on Facebook. He, he came up with some digital life thing and, and had people respond to it. He got 300,000 respondents. That sounds like a lot. But then I guess the way it worked is at the time Facebook said you can get access to all of your respondents friends info as well, as long as you don't monetize it or something like that. And he went ahead and got that anyway, which led to tens of millions of people and then gave it over to Cambridge Analytica and Cambridge Analytica used that in the political campaigns of the United States. Is that about right? What do do you know about that story and and how that relates to some of this topic? I'll admit I don't know all the details of Cambridge Analytics, but um, definitely the idea that data was being acquired from Facebook to this company and used for political purposes. Um, Yeah. I, after I heard that part of the story that I start that it came through one of these little Facebook game things, I was like, okay, note to self. I don't need to know. I don't need to play these little, I don't need to do these little quizzes anymore. Um, and I'll, and I'm somebody who is pretty open about what they post online. Um, I have two rules about when it comes to the internet. Rule number one: don't post anything online that you wouldn't put on the front page of the newspaper. Yep. And two: assume everything you post, regardless of privacy settings, is going to be seen by the four following people: your best friend, your worst enemy, your boss. And your mother. <laughs> if you don't want one of those people seeing what you're thinking about posting, don't put it out there. Yeah. So, and I and most of my posts on Facebook are public because, um, again, I'm very aware that there is no such thing as privacy in what you post online. So, if somebody happens to be watching 
and watching what is publicly available and making their own analysis of it to determine am I liberal, am I conservative? One, they're probably not going to be completely right because I only post things in public that I would post right. you know, everywhere. Um, but I look at that and go, yeah, like, I mean, the Facebook and any of, you know, and blog and how, you know, having a blog, having a YouTube channel, uh, that's all publicly available. It's like you know, a phone book or a billboard or yeah. it, so the fact that people are watching and maybe doing an analysis, um, it doesn't bother me per se, just because it's public. Uh, but these ideas of scraping and selling makes me curious as to exactly how are they doing it and do we have reason for concern. So for me, I didn't immediately get offended, but definitely wanted to know more about what was going on. So I guess for me, it's, it was a desire for more transparency. For sure. And and I don't think what a lot of people realize is that you think, okay, I'm sharing this with Facebook, but you're actually sharing it potentially with many, many other companies. There was a, I don't know if this was in response to the GDPR, but PayPal put out a, a report uh, in the last few months that that detailed all of the quote unquote partners uh, with which it shares your information. And there were 600 companies on that list. Now they're a global financial company, so some a lot of those were banks. Uh, which right. would, which would make sense, but there were still you know a good couple hundred of those that were just strictly for marketing purposes, and that was just PayPal, and mm -hmm. and it's somewhere yeah. in the, the agreement you signed, the end user license agreement, the little thing that you pops up and says accept, and you say yes. Somewhere right. buried in all that is a list of you know they mentioned partners, and that could be who knows who. Right, and and part of me also wonders how much like are, when they're sharing data, is it aggregate data where it's mm -hmm. not in, about individuals, where it's just saying, hey, we have this many users and they are affiliated with you know these four, you know, primarily these like these four banks are the main ones they they come from, um, or like these parts of the U.S. or these I. These types of companies are are the ones who are using PayPal to um, to process their their payments. Um, if that's just and if it's aggregate data, I don't know if that's any different than what any other company right. does uh, versus giving out detailed personal um, connected to you the individual data. Right. Uh, I think is where it becomes questionable. Yep, exactly. Um, and it's hard and without the transparency. It's hard to know, which is part of the reason why we want the transparency. Exactly. Um, all right. So you already mentioned some really great tips, actually, uh, for for people to consider when they're when they're posting on the internet. Um, as we kind of wrap up here, I, I want to get practical, uh, and so I would like to arm our listeners with that kind of data. Is there anything, any other tips you have in general for, you know, how does one protect your privacy online? What kind of um, uh, are there any tools you, you should use, anything you should avoid doing, uh, those kind of things? If you want to protect your privacy on the Internet, um, what would you do? <laughs> uh, I, a lot of what I have to share is pretty simple, common sense stuff mm -hmm. about being thoughtful about where you go and what you do. Um, you know, keep your passwords protected. Don't use with, like, one of the most common passwords is like one, two, three, four, five, six <laughs> exclamation point or right. whatever. Uh, you know, no, don't do that. Use crazy complicated passwords. I use a, uh, I use a password a, manager. 
password thank you password manager called LastPass <laughs> yep, to remember too. my passwords for me because half the time I'm also telling it to generate my password right. so it is like gobbledygook and not you know my birthday right. um, or my favorite sports ball team so um, and then be thoughtful about where you access the internet I I don't do your banking at Starbucks. Mm. Yeah, or places where it's publicly available. Yeah, certainly not without a VPN. Um, though, yeah. you know, most of the most of our uh, tra traffic on the internet, especially the banks, are most of the time encrypted these days. But if you want to be certain, you should, and you're on public internet or you've not even Wi-Fi, public like a hotel wired. If you're on any kind of a public network, you should always be using a VPN if you're going to do anything yep. like that. Exactly. Awesome. Um, and from a, I always like to you know have a call to action as well. If we want to press our government and our corporations to become uh, more consumer friendly, to be more transparent. Uh, obviously, there's the usual, you know, call your representatives and, and those kind of things, which I absolutely recommend people to do. Um, is there anything else that, that, you know, from being a lawyer that, that you find effective, something maybe we hadn't thought of, something else we might want to do to, uh, to push our case and to, uh, to try to drive change? You mentioned some good points. Call your representative, um, contact the company directly. If you actually want to take the time to read their terms of service, I actually do write those uh, for a living. So someone reads them. <laughs> um, and, um, and then look to what agencies are being active in this space. And there may be more popping up just because this is becoming more of a bigger deal. But the, one of the ones that I follow is the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Yes. I found that they've been a, a great source for information in English, um, yep. you, know, dis, you know, deciphering legalese into English and explaining, okay, what does this mean for Joe Average people? Um, so I'm definitely a fan of, of them and do look to them for information. But there are other sources out there like podcasts and reliable news sources. And I'm a big fan of don't, don't um, automatically assume something's true because you saw it once online. Oh, yeah. um, go, go do some digging yourself and confirm it. Um, I mean, how many times have we seen like a posting about a celebrity dying yeah. and then three hours later, the celebrity tweets <laughs> on their own behalf. Um, I'm not dead guys. I'm not dead so. yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a little body python there. Um, yeah, that, absolutely. That's a, that. That's a great. So um, there's a couple that I'd recommend. I don't know if you've heard of. There's first of all, there's a great documentary called uh, "Terms and Conditions May Apply." Uh, that, yes. That was uh, about a lot of this stuff and the things that we're signing away. And I'm sure that you've got, <laughs> you, if you've if you've written these things, I'm sure that would hit home particularly for you. Um, there's, so I highly recommend people check that out. There's also a really cool website uh, called uh, Terms of Service Didn't Read, which is TOS, you know, semicolon DR. It's so the the, uh, the internet thing would be TLDR, too long, didn't read. So Terms of Service Didn't Read. And, and the the what this website is trying to do uh, is trying to take, I think actually it might even have like machine learning bots reading these terms of service to try to pick through all the legalese and summarize the key elements of everybody's privacy policy and putting them in tables. Um, you, cool. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty cool. Uh, so I'll put the links to that uh, on the website so people check out the show notes for this. And obviously, I'll, um, the, your your blog entries will, will get those out there on there too. Uh, any last words? Yeah. Anything else we want to? Any parting comments for the for the audience? I now I'm really curious to go look at the, that website to, and just to watch it because I mean, of course, everyone's email is being inundated right now with all these you know updates. Yeah. 
um, which I'm guessing is all GDPR related. Yes, I was going to ask almost that question. Almost all GDPR yeah. related. So I'm curious to see now what if they have this one resource, so I can just see a table to show me, oh, you know, who's up to date and uh, what are they doing? So yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I think my only parting piece of information is for anybody who is a small business owner or like a blogger, vlogger who has an email list, definitely do some research into how this law applies to you. And don't just assume that because you're not in the EU that you don't have to comply with it. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on. That was very informative. And uh, May 25th is right around the corner. That'll be interesting to see, you know, if the if the, if the world implodes, if uh, yeah. when all these companies. Oh, and if, all... any of your, if any of your uh, listeners want to see how what I've done um, to comply and how I've done yeah. my email list, feel free to go. You can you know, go to my website, subscribe yourself. You will see my confirmatory email. Um <laughs> And then if you want to you know, turn around and unsubscribe, I don't care. Um, but if you just want to use that as a tool to see, oh, oh sure, what yeah. is somebody who has read the GDPR doing to comply, feel free. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. You know, get, a, get an example. It's always nice to have an example. All right. Thank you so much, Ruth, for coming and talking to us today. My pleasure. That was a great, great discussion. Thanks again to Ruth Carter for coming on the show and telling us all about these new regulations and how they affect us, even if we're not in the EU. It's a great first step. Um, you know, you can debate whether regulation is always the way to go, but I, with the, the corporations today don't seem to respond to much else. Um, and when they, you know, get really, really big, like, I don't know, say Amazon, Google, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, uh, you know, they kind of start putting their thumbs on the scales and it's hard to get, you know, hard to get these guys to do anything they don't want to do. So anyway, this is a very interesting time, and we'll see how this goes. I'm sure there's going to be some hiccups along the way, but this is an important first step, and, you know, it's uh, kind of an opening salvo in, you know, the consumers being able to kind of fight back and take take control of their uh, of their destiny a little bit now, uh, which a lot of us had just kind of blithely gone, gone, gone along through our lives and not really thought too much about it. But with the Cambridge Analytica thing and some of these other things starting to come to light, um, it's really quite important. And you may think you've got nothing to hide. Um, but I believe you do. Glenn Greenwald had a great talk on this. I know I've said it many times. Um, go see his TED talk on uh, why privacy matters. But, um, yeah, he always said, he says in this thing, well, you know, people say, you know, he talks to industry leaders and things and they say, Oh, privacy, you know, people don't care about their privacy. You know, no, no one's trying to hide anything. And he says, okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to write down my email address on this piece of paper. And when you get home, I want you to send me all the passwords uh, to all your email accounts, you know, because I just want to kind of poke around and see what I see. If you don't really care about your privacy, then you won't, you know, you won't care if I just kind of look around and rummage through your email. So, you know, just send them to me. And uh, he said that nobody has yet taken him up on that. Not surprisingly. So anyway, privacy matters, folks. And uh, this GDPR thing is going to be an interesting experiment. We'll see how it goes. And I'm you know, I'm hoping that we can adopt some similar policies here because we've got to start taking uh, our privacy much more seriously. And it's our data, darn it. <laughs> you know, uh, we need to have control over those things. We need to know what you're doing with it. We need to know who you're giving it to. We need to know if you're selling it. Uh, and, you know, we should have the right to inspect it and make sure it's at least correct. And in, in a lot of cases, we should be able to say, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to delete all that information. Okay. Anyway, that's, that's my little soapbox. That's kind of my thing. So, 
Uh, we'll have another great show for you next week. We'll have we'll catch you up on some news stuff. There's the net neutrality just passed last week, passed the Senate, and of course now we got to get it through the House. That's going to be a heavy, heavy lift. So um, call your congressman, especially if you've got Republican congressmen, and tell them you want them to uh, adopt the CRA and block these the FCC ruling that is trying to gut net neutrality. All right, and until I talk to you again next week, stay safe, and as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. Take care, everybody. Thank you.